God is good and all the time. We're glad that you chose to worship with us today. We had a great uh, service in our first worship this morning and glad that we, uh, I'm glad we have space to offer options and so we have an opportunity. I know some that got up early and got here and now they're already eating brunch maybe, but uh, we're glad that you chose to worship with in person and, and also want to welcome all of you that are online this morning. Don't forget to share the feed, right? So share it so someone else can be a part of the service today. And I think that was one, been one amazing thing in all of this uh, church online is how many people from all over the world are hearing the gospel. And so we celebrate that. I'm going to invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 today, as last week we kind of introduced the idea that the church is essential. And so we're going to continue that series this morning. And we're going to spend the next several weeks going through the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. We see very early on in the book what the purpose of the book is. We made this statement last week, and it's kind of going to be uh, the thesis that carries us through this entire series, and, and it's a quote by Brad Powell. And he says, the church is the hope of the world when it's done right. The church is the hope of the world when done right. Therefore, we also understand uh, the church then becomes non-essential when it's done wrong. And so as a church and, and as a follower of Jesus, I do 100% believe the church is essential. Can you say amen to that? If you're online, say amen to that. But also, what I also have to wrestle with and what we need to wrestle with is, yes, the church is essential, but is the church effective? Have we been effective? And if we have not been effective, then we would also have to understand that maybe we aren't so essential. We understand, though, that uh, in very first part of, of verse number one, let's, let's begin kind of what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a first an overview of, of the first eight verses. Then we're going to walk through verses 9 through 20, and it's going to set us up for the next seven weeks as we walk through the seven letters to the seven churches. And so very first, verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this word revelation, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think of that. A lot of times people think of end times or this word apocalypse. Well, interesting enough, the Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis. And what it literally means is the unveiling. And so what this is saying is it's the, the revelation or the unveiling of who? It's not just an unveiling of events. It's an unveiling of a person. It's an unveiling of Jesus. And so what John here, who has this vision that we're going to talk about, he gets a fresh picture, a fresh vision of who Jesus is. Is. And so in verse 3 it says, blessed are you if you read the revelation and you obey the revelation. Verse 4, again, it talks about Jesus. He was the person who was, who is, and the one who is to come. Verse 5, he's the firstborn. He's the one that would come back to life so that he could pay the penalty of our sin debt. Verse 6 says, all glory and dominion belong to him forever and ever. And verse 8, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He is God all mighty. He is Jesus, King of kings. That's the revelation. That's what we're unveiling. So when we dig into the, the book of Revelation, what we are doing is getting a fresh picture of who Jesus is. And so I pray as we walk through this in the next several weeks that you will, in every letter, all seven letters, it ends with basically to say, so listen up. Listen. Listen, and so I'm challenging you as we walk through these to, to listen up. God wants to reveal himself to you through his word. The New Testament and also here in Revelation, we see two major themes. Uh, 
The first theme is this. It's the, the supremacy of Christ. In other words, that God, Jesus, is in control. That Jesus should be first. Jesus is the first and the last. You're going to see that theme even in chapter 1. Three different times it's mentioned. I want to read uh, five verses in Colossians that kind of summarize what that idea of the supremacy of Christ means. Okay, so Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. In whom we have redemption through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Jesus all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. As you notice, I'm just in, entering the word Jesus for the word him. That's who it's referencing. Verse 17, and Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things consist. In other words, Jesus is our creator and the sustainer of our life, of our world, of everything. Verse 18, and he is the head, or Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then that in all things he may have the preeminence. God, Jesus is first. And so you're going to find that theme all throughout the New Testament and here in Revelation, the, pre, the supremacy of Christ. The second theme, which also is going to allow us to talk about what we're talking about, is the centrality of the church. Or, in other words, the way we would say that right now is the church is essential. The centrality of the church. The church is the, the avenue, the platform in which Jesus chose to get the gospel to the nations. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And the church is essential because Jesus is essential. And so we have to understand, as Jesus is essential, the church is the platform, the avenue in which he has chosen to fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples, to lead people to find and follow Jesus. And so as we walk through these seven letters, let's continue to, with those two thoughts. This is primacy of Christ, the centrality of the church. Now, I'm thankful for some really good preachers in my life, and a lot of our information, I've been listening to a man named Josh Smith, and just uh, FYI for all of you out there, preachers still other preacher sermons all the time, okay? But I chose to actually contact him and say, can I steal your material? And he gave me the green light, so thank you, Josh Smith, all right? Revelation chapter 1, we've kind of given you the highlights of the first eight verses. Now we're just going to walk verse by verse, nine through, verse 9 through verse 20. I'll, I'll kind of explain it to you, and, and then we'll have really two major ramifications of what we've learned today. All right, verse number 9. It says, I, John, again, John is writing. John has been exiled to an island called Patmos because he won't stop preaching the name of Jesus. Okay, so I, John, both your brother and companion. I love those two words. What he's referencing here as he writes to the churches, to followers of Jesus, is that I'm your brother. We're family. That's, that's why we use that word a lot at church here. We are a faith family. Then he uses this word companion. I'm your brother. I'm your companion. And, and I... I, I reference that to partner. Maybe we could use the word community. Again, so in this one sentence, John is saying, I'm a part of your faith family. I'm a part of your faith community. And I'm in this with you. And then he lists three things. I'm this tribulation. What we're going through as a church, we should go through together. When a church member is hurting, all church members should hurt with them. And so we're in this together. He says we're in this uh, brother and companion in the tribulation and in the kingdom. In other words, in Christ. It's Christ that unifies us. In patience of Jesus Christ. 
And he says, was on the island of, and that is called Patmos, for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So again, he just sets up, hey, I'm on the island of Patmos. I'm writing you a letter because I'm a fellow faith family member and a faith community member. Okay, now verse 11. Or excuse me, verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard him, I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, all right? So he's worshiping the Lord. He's having a conversation with God, and he hears this loud voice behind him. And the only thing he can think of that would, uh, the reader would understand the volume, the power of this voice is, it's like a trumpet. Think of a, a, a blaring trumpet. So he hears the voice. He's not saying he heard the voice of a trumpet, but it's loud and the power as a trumpet. And then verse number 11 and this is what the voice says, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. So who's, who's speaking? It's Jesus himself. This loud voice, the power of the trumpet, is Jesus. And Jesus says to John, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and last. I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I am the resurrected Savior. And then he goes on to say, in, in verse 10 here it says, uh, if I can find it, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice of a trumpet saying, verse 11, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book, and send to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So he says, I'm going to give you a vision, you're going to see it, write it down, and send it to the seven churches. And that's where we're going to spend the next several weeks unpacking. Right? So he hears a loud voice. He's Exiled on an island, seemingly alone. He hears this loud voice, and then what does he do next? Verse 12. Then he turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Now, I know some of you, if you heard a loud voice, loud as a trumpet behind you, you're out of there, right? But he doesn't. He has a little courage alone. Maybe he just wants someone to talk to. And he's like, who is there? He turns and spoke the voice with me. And having turned, here's what he sees. So here's the vision and what he's going to begin unpacking in the next few chapters. But he saw seven golden lampstands. Again, this picture of seven, uh, probably the easiest way for you to picture that in your mind is like seven tiki torches. And what is the seven tiki torches? They're on fire. There's fire there. So, so have that mental image. I saw seven golden lampstands, verse 13. In the midst of those seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. This phrase, again, goes back to prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. Again, it's referencing that the voice has already spoken. The voice has already said, I am the Alpha and Omega. It is Jesus. But then the vision, now he sees seven lampstands, and they're all lit with fire. And in the midst of the seven lampstands is a person, a man, the Son of Man. Who is that referencing? It's actually referencing Jesus himself. In the midst of the fire is Jesus. And then it gives the description. He was clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. And that's just a, picture, a, a depiction there of a king. So it, it, it's, it's Jesus, King Jesus is who he sees. Aren't you looking forward to seeing King Jesus one day? Again, these words, he was, is, and is to come. Jesus is coming again. Are you looking forward to that day? Jesus is going to call his church to be in his presence. And so King Jesus is the picture John gets, and he continues to describe it. His feet girt about the chest with a golden band, his head, in verse 14, and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass and refining a furnace. His voice was the sound of many waters. Again, that, that idea of power. 
He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth were uh, when a sharp two-edged sword. Again, this idea of his words are, bring with it power. And his countenance or his face was like the sun shining in his strength. And again, John here is just trying to paint for us a picture of what he's seen. He can only use images or ideas that he's actually seen. And so as he depicts gray hair, what he's trying to depict is this idea of, of radiance, of brightness. The, the idea of the fire on the feet, again, it's just this idea of the glory, what, he, what he's trying to depict for us. Again, kids, you have to understand, when John was writing this, he could not get mom and dad's phone out and Google what, how do I describe bright? He couldn't do it. So he's using only images he knows. But here's what he's trying to depict. We have to catch this. He wants, he wants us, the reader, to understand Jesus is full of glory. The radiance of God, full of glory, other scripture would teach us. And he wants us today, church, to see Jesus in all his glory. John does not get a picture of, of baby Jesus in the, in the manger. He's not got a picture of, you know, Jesus working the carpentry tools. He's not got a picture of Jesus on the cross. He doesn't have a picture of Jesus in the tomb. He doesn't even have a picture of Jesus ascending to heaven. The picture he sees of Jesus is that Jesus is, in fact, the risen Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, full of all glory. And the second image he's wanting to say is that he is full of all power. I'm thankful we serve Jesus, who's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty, who has all power, all wisdom, all perspective, and one day is coming back for us. Are you excited to meet Jesus? And the image here is just, let's see, church, the glory and the power of Jesus. How easy it is for me I'm going to assume for you, with everything that goes on, to take my focus off of the glory of Jesus and the power of Jesus, that Jesus right now, he's not surprised. He's not asking the Lord, what's next? Jesus is on the throne, full of power and full of glory. And he is in control. And, and what we need, what I need, is to see Jesus again. To see him in his glory and his power. And as John looks at this image and he's trying to give his best, you know, depiction of what he sees, the glory and the power of God, what, how does John respond? Verse 17 tells us, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. It's the same picture we see in Isaiah chapter number 6. When Isaiah got a glimpse of God, remember what he did, he fell on his face and he repented. Woe is me, I, I am a man of unclean lips. I, I'm not worthy to be in the presence of God. And here's what we need to understand, church, when we get a proper perspective of who Jesus is and we see Jesus in his glory and his power, the only proper response is one of humility and repentance. When we see Jesus for who he is, it reveals to us the sin in our own life. How easy it is for us to point everyone else's sin and what they're doing wrong and how they respond on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you're on. But what, what we need to do individually, 
corporately as a community, as a country is to get a fresh view of Jesus. What this world needs is not my opinion, it needs Jesus. What this world needs is to see Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords, in all his glory, and all his power. And if we, as an individual, if we as a church will see Jesus for who he is, what's our response? We'll scream out that we're not worthy because we are not worthy. And if we'll stop comparing ourselves to everyone else and start comparing ourselves to the glory and the power of Jesus, it will become very evident to us that we need Jesus. And we, me, need to repent. He falls as if he was dead. And get this, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, can you imagine, John? He hears a loud voice. He nervously turns around. He sees a picture of Jesus. In humility of his own wickedness, he falls to Jesus' feet. And what does Jesus do? Touched him. Listen, when we get a picture of Jesus and we humble ourselves and repent, every single time, Jesus will touch us. Jesus will heal us. Jesus will forgive us. Jesus will redeem us. And look what Jesus said. He laid his right hand on he laid his hand on me saying to me, "Do not be afraid." What a great word. "Do not be afraid." Understand what he's saying here is, don't ever be afraid. It's not just don't be afraid because I'm touching you in this moment and you see my glory. What he's saying here is don't ever be afraid. And here's why. Let's keep reading. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which you are and the things which you will take place after this. What he's saying here, listen church, don't ever be afraid because I am King Jesus. I am in control. Nothing's going to happen without me allowing it to happen. And I am coming again. Don't be afraid church. Don't be afraid. Here's the great news. We understand this. A proper view of Jesus leads to a proper view of our own sin. And one of the reasons we don't want to really look at who Jesus is is because every time we look at Jesus, we see our sinfulness. And it's a whole lot easier just not to look. Parents, you know what that's like, right? I'm just going to ignore what they're doing. Church, we, we can't ignore Jesus. And we need to ask for the, for the Lord to give us a fresh vision of him. And when we see the glory and the power and the majesty and the might of Jesus, what's the proper response? In humility, I'm going to fall as if I'm dead. I'm going to say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And when we confess, what does John say? He's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so as John sees the vision of Jesus, here's, here's the picture that 
you know, we, we've read the end of the book. God, God wins. We win. We're on the, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, we win, and we're going to be forever in the presence of Jesus. And we're going to be, as Revelation 7 talks about, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be in the presence of King Jesus, and we will be worshiping. And so what we do here this morning in this place, we sing and we worship and we give and we read, and it's just practice for when we get in the presence of Jesus. You know how awesome it's going to be to be every tribe, every tongue, every nation in the presence of Jesus and worshiping? It's, it's going to be the glory revealed in, in, in its entirety. Right now we just get a glimpse. Remember when Moses asked God, God, show me your glory, and God said, you cannot handle my glory. And he hit him in the cleft of the rock and, and just gave him a, just, just a picture of his glory. Here's what's great. We don't have to wait until he comes again to see him for who he is. We don't have to wait until he comes to worship him, to praise him, and to fall and confess to him. And what we need as a church is a fresh vision of who Jesus is. This vision that John writes, I, I pray that, that we will see it. Look, look at verse number 20. It says, The mystery of the seven stars, which we already read about, which you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are. So he explains, in case we can't figure it out, the angels of the seven churches and the, lamp, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. And so we get a picture of, of seven angels that are, are protecting those churches. But then he goes on to say, the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And these seven churches that we're going to read about, that we just talked about, chapters 2 and 3, are a picture of church for eternity. It's application for us. And so what he's saying is, remember the picture we said, there's seven lampstands. On, the seven lampstands are all filled with fire. In the midst of the seven churches, who's standing there? Jesus himself. And what does the fire represent? The fire of the seven churches represents the glory of Jesus. So the church, it's our responsibility to display the glory of God. So, two thoughts to conclude this this morning. Two ramifications of this. And before we get to it, let me give you this quote. I think it's a great quote by Josh Smith. Jesus is more glorious than we realize, and the church is more important than we know. Jesus is more glorious than we realize, and the church is more important than we know. And some of us have experienced over the last 12 or 13 weeks when we couldn't have church. And the body, the family, the faith family, the faith community couldn't, as Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. That community that we all need. Jesus is more glorious than we realize and the church is more important than we know. And the reason the church is essential is because Jesus is essential. We didn't read it, but let's read verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Do you see what he's saying? This picture of Jesus is the, the one, the king of kings who died on a cross so that I could be reconciled to God. In, in church, 
We have to understand then, Jesus is the head of the church. That's what Revelation, that's what we're going to unpack. Jesus is the head of the church. That's what we read in Colossians, that he is the, the head, the body, the church. And the second thought this morning is this. When we think about Jesus being the head of the church, then we realize the church, as I've already said, exists to display God's glory. The church exists to display God's glory. So I want you to think about this thought. Sin dims the light of Jesus. If as a church we are the lampstand, we are on fire with the glory of God, and is it possible then for us as a church, even though we are essential, we have not been effective? And is it possible the reason that we have not been effective is because there's sin in our life? Because the sin in my life dims the glory of God in the church. And so what I want you to wrestle with this morning is to think, if I get a picture of who Jesus is, and I get a picture of the glory and the power of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty, if I have a fresh vision of who he is and his holiness and his greatness and his power, then it reveals those sins in my life. And are there attitudes this week that I've had? Have I responded in my mind, even if only in my mind? And, and I want you to, I, I, could, I could list a whole lot of sins, right? Until I get yours. But what I want you to do this morning is to look inward. Stop comparing yourself to the people around you. Start comparing yourself to the glory and the power of Jesus. And in areas you don't live up, the areas God reveals to you, your response is always humility and repentance. And I think one thing that we as a church, and I don't mean just Hallmark, but the church in general, has failed to do well. We've talked about it a few times in James. It says, we confess to the Lord for forgiveness of sins. We confess to one another for healing. And I don't think in general as a church, we've done very well at public confession. I'm hoping that one of the uh, benefits of you know, us basically shutting down the altar, uh, because we want you to come forward and gather and all that, that I, that I hope that on the other side of this, you'll appreciate this place. Because we have a tendency in church to be so uh, worried about what others think that if the pastor mentions a specific sin and then asks people to come forward and pray, that if I go down, oh, yep, that, that guy, I knew it. We all have the judgy eyes, right? How many of you are guilty of having judgy eyes before? Okay, see, you don't even want to confess it now. And we all, I mean, we all do it. And so what I want to do today is if, if you've got a fresh picture of the glory of Jesus and the sacrifice as he hung on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin debt, that you would take a moment today to publicly confess your sin, that whatever that sin is. And the easy way to do that, if you're online, what I would just encourage you to do is just to type, I confess. Now, I don't want you to list everything you've done. I confess. Or maybe it's just to put in the raise your hand emoji, right? I confess. And for those of us in the room, 
if, if God has revealed their sin in your life, understand what we've stated. Sin in my life dims the glory of God in his church. There's a, there's a lot of weight to that statement. Sin in my life dims the glory of God in his church. And today, if God's revealed sin in your life, I, I want everybody to close your eyes. But I want you in this moment, if there's sin in your life that you want to publicly confess, I'm not going to ask you to call it out. I just want you to stand. And I want you to have a conversation with God standing there at your seat. And you tell God your sin. I don't, I don't need to know it. But your standing is a public confession that, God, I don't want my sin to dim the glory of God in his church. And I think the understanding of public confession is something that, that I personally need to study a little more on. But I stand with you today acknowledging that I, this week and the last couple of weeks, I've had some wrestled with some bad attitude. But I've also wrestled internally with some possibly unconfessed sin of our church. And, and I don't want unconfessed sin in my own life to dim the glory of Christ. And I don't want unconfessed sin in our church to dim the glory of Christ in his church. About six months ago, this wrestle in my heart began. And it's just really become a fire in me the last couple of weeks. About six months ago, I went to the hospital to visit uh, somebody that I didn't know. Somebody in our church asked me to go. Went and prayed in the room with, with the husband. Went out and met his wife in the foyer. She's an older lady. And I told her who I was, what church I was a part of, who had asked me to come. And she said, and, and what she said just Honestly, it broke my heart. And what she said was, you know, John, the most vivid memory I have of Hallmark, and, and her memory actually predates the name Hallmark. It was Morningside. But what she said was, my most vivid memory of Hallmark was my dad standing out on the porch with other men, not letting the black people come in. And I've had some conversations the last few weeks, the last week or so with a couple of the former pastors just asking, do we, do we know if this has ever been public? That was a long time ago. I don't stand in judgment of, of people who did that. It's a different world. I understand that. But, but as a church, I don't know if it's ever been publicly confessed. And, and I don't want anything in my life or the life of our church to go unconfessed that may hinder the work of Christ. I'm just going to ask you to pray while I pray. God, I, I confess to you in my own life, Lord, the last few weeks that I've been wrestling with my own heart. Lord, I, I just ask that you would allow me to see a fresh picture of who you are your glory, your power, your might, your majesty. And God, I pray that 
you would forgive me for my own sins. For those of us online that have typed, I confessed, or those of us in the room this morning that are standing, Lord, we confess our sin and we ask, Lord, that our sin would not dim the light of Christ. And Lord, I pray for our church that we would not have unconfessed sin. Lord, forgive us for not having a spirit of acceptance. Lord, forgive us where we have failed you. Lord, we want to see the glory of Christ in this place that would shine in this community and all over the world. As we walk through these chapters, Lord, let us hear from you. Lord, the world is dying to see Jesus. Help us, help us show the light of Jesus.